Welcome to the Compelling Words Podcast. The Word of God is meant to move us. It's meant to call us to action. Listen in as Kevin Purdy teaches and presents a genuine and compelling message from the Word of God. Well, we all know that kids can say the most hilarious things. You know, out of the mouths of kids come some of the funniest things. And one nurse told a story about a four-year-old little girl who came to see the doctor. And the little girl came into the office for a checkup. And the nurse took out the stethoscope and was showing it to her and actually placed the stethoscope in her ears, in the little girl's ears, so she could hear her own heart. So she put the stethoscope in the little girl's ears and then stuck it to her heart and said, do you hear that? And the little girl, little girl heard thump, 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 thump. And her eyes got real big and she looked up and she said, is that Jesus knocking in there? <laughs> As Christians, we often describe our faith uh, by saying that we have Jesus in our hearts. Well, have you ever wondered, what about God? What about God, what about his heart? Well, obviously, throughout the Bible, we can learn about the heart of God. But there's one chapter that I always think of when I consider that question. When I stop and wonder about what the heart of God is like, there's one chapter in the Bible that I always kind of come back to, and that's Luke 15. Because in Luke 15, Jesus tells three different stories. We call them parables. They're stories that have a point, they have a message, they have a moral to, them, to learn. In verse 1 through 7, the first story Jesus tells is a story about a lost sheep. And then in verse 8 through 10, Jesus tells the story about a lost coin. And then in verse 11 through 31, Jesus tells a story about a lost son. Did you notice the theme to these stories? Lost. That's exactly right. Each story is centered on something that is lost. But not only that, in each story, that which is lost gets found. And in each story, and in each story, when the lost is found, there is a great celebration. In Luke 15, 6, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. In Luke 15, 9, rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In Luke 15, verse 23, let's have a feast and celebrate. He was lost and now he is found. So Jesus tells three different stories celebrating when the lost is found. But let's take a moment to take note of what led up to this moment. Why did Jesus tell these three stories? different stories. Jesus told these stories right after something happened. So what is it? What provoked or what caused Jesus to tell these stories? If you look in Luke 15, the first two verses, one, verse one and two says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So imagine Jesus here teaching. Jesus is teaching. The Pharisees are there. They're probably not there to learn. They're there because they've been suspicious of Jesus, and they're wanting to see what he's out there saying and what they could trap him with. They're suspicious and threatened by him. But along with the Pharisees, his disciples, of course, are there. 
his devoted friends, his devoted followers. But then there are also some that are there who aren't nearly as respectable. Maybe there's a young woman there with a bad reputation. Maybe there's a man there with a drinking problem. Maybe that guy over there, he was once in prison. Maybe that couple that fight all the time, they're there. And man, they say the meanest things to each other. And then maybe that woman over there, she's, she's a flat-out liar. And that guy, he's been a suspect in at least three different crimes. And that group of tax collectors over there, well, they just cheat everyone. The Pharisees have noticed who's there. And they can't believe that Jesus would give his time and attention to a crowd like this. So they begin to kind of grumble. Now Jesus, either, either supernaturally, or he just kind of overhears them talking to themselves. I don't know how, but Jesus knows what they're thinking. And that's why he tells these three different stories. That's what starts him down the storytelling path here. He tells these stories to let them know what God feels in his heart. He tells these stories to let them know that, yes, these are sinners who are lost, but God cares about those who are lost. God cares about those who are lost, and he wants them to be found. And these three stories let us know about the heart of God. They let us know that God is love. God is love. In the heart of God, a sinner is a sheep that has wandered away and needs to be rescued. A coin that is so valuable, it must be found. A son who has rebelled but is embraced when he comes back home. God is love. And God, with all of his heart, does not want anyone to be left out. He does not want anyone to be lost. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 tells us that God does not want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God is love. But to really understand that, we need to talk a little bit about it. To really understand that, we need to understand a few things about love. First and foremost, what we need to understand is that love is not total acceptance. Love is not total acceptance. In our current culture, that's how love is defined. Love and acceptance are promoted side by side. It goes like this. If you truly love someone, then you must be willing to accept who they are no matter what. If you even suggest that something they believe is wrong or sinful then you're accused of being unloving and even hateful. But even basic logic goes against that type of thinking. If love required absolute acceptance, then we can never have any fixed standards at all. We wouldn't be able to disagree with anyone, because if you disagree, well, you're not being loving. We wouldn't be able to disapprove of anything if anyone, that anyone does because if you don't approve of what they're doing, then, well, you're not being accepting. You're not showing acceptance. We would have to tolerate anything that anyone chooses to do. If your employee chooses to disobey the standards at work, well, you can't say anything. If your neighbor wanted to express himself in obscene ways, 
Don't think about complaining because it's not showing love and acceptance for who he is. If someone wanted to cut in line at the grocery store because they just thought they were an extraordinary person that needed to be in front of you in line, you couldn't say anything. In love and acceptance, you'd have to allow them to. It doesn't make sense. There has to be a line of acceptable and unacceptable. There has to be a line of right and wrong. Absolute acceptance equals the absence of any and all standards or judgments. Therefore, absolute acceptance equals absolute anarchy. Everything goes. Nothing is off limits. God is love. But that's not how God loves. God's love does not turn a blind eye to sin. God's love does not ignore that which is wrong. God's love is unconditional. God's acceptance is not. Love does not equal acceptance. Think of the encounter that Jesus had with a woman who was caught in sin. Remember that story? Remember that encounter? The religious leaders caught her committing adultery, and they bring her, they actually drug, drag her in front of Jesus. In John 8, we, hear, we learn the story in John 8, 4 through 11. Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down, started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and he asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. God is love and God loved this woman. He cared about her. He had compassion for her. But God's love does not accept sin. Jesus said very, very clearly, go now and leave your life of sin. He didn't say, hey, no one's condemned you. I don't condemn you. You're all good. Just go live your life. He said, go now and leave your life of sin. God is love, but God consistently all throughout the Bible, calls sinners to turn away from their sin. We are called to fight and overcome sin through the power of God's Spirit in our lives. Never once, never once does God allow us to continue unconcerned about our sin, assuming that the whole time He's just going to forgive it. I'm not worried about my sin because God's going to forgive it. It's a dangerous attitude to be in. We ought to keep that in mind as we relate to those around us. Acceptance sounds good. I mean, it sounds righteous. It sounds good. It sounds like a very noble thing. But acceptance is taking the easy way out. Think about it. It's easy just to accept people. It's easy just to say, you live your life, I'll live my life. You're good, I'm good, we're all good. It's easy to say that. It's hard to confront things that are wrong. 
It's hard to call out sin. People don't like to be told that what they're doing is wrong. So it's, it's real easy just to ignore it and just to let it go. Acceptance. Tolerance. That's clean and easy. It sounds so good, but really it's very, very superficial. Love, true love, is messy. It's messy and it's hard. It's not an easy thing to do. Because love sometimes means telling those that we care about that what they're doing is wrong. It means that sometimes we should call out people on their behavior. Love is hard because love means I can't ignore the truth. Love means I want what's best for you and therefore I won't ignore the things that are going to hurt you. Even if it's uncomfortable. Even if it causes conflict. Acceptance is easy. Makes everyone feel good. Acceptance dodges the conflict for the sake of peace. But love, true love, real love, love cares so much that it takes the risk. True love wants what is best. And the best is never achieved by just ignoring sin. In fact, ignoring sin is extremely dangerous for now and for eternity. It could put eternity at risk. And sometimes we have people in our life that their eternity is at risk because they're blatantly ignoring their sin and no one's challenging them on it. Sometimes because of love, we have the hard conversations Love is not always acceptance, but love is affection. Love is affection. God is love. And God's heart has a deep, caring affection for all of us. But God's love is even more than just a general care. Sometimes I think we generalize it too much. We're like, yeah, God loves us. We make it too, too general. God's love is more than that. It is a warm and tender, compassionate care for us individually. It's often described in very, very intimate ways. In Isaiah, God's love is compared to a mother nursing her child. It's a very intimate, close picture of how much God loves us. In Hosea, God's love is compared to a husband loving his wife. Throughout the Bible, God's love is compared to a shepherd who is gently caring for his flock. In Matthew, Jesus speaks about Jerusalem. And he says this, Jesus says in Matthew 23, 37, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Even in the brutal pain of the cross, it was love that caused Jesus to cry out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Once again, consider Jesus. He was God in the flesh. Jesus had received word that a friend named Lazarus was sick. So he begins to make that journey to go to see him. And when he arrives, Lazarus' sister comes running out to greet him and she tells him, Lazarus has died. In John 11.35, which happens to be the shortest verse in the Bible, 
Two words, two one-syllable words. Very simply, it says, Jesus wept. Don't miss how significant those words are. Eight verses later, Jesus raises Lazarus from the grave. Just a few moments, and Jesus raises Lazarus back to life. But if you look back at verse 4, when he first heard Lazarus was sick, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. Then in verse 11, even before he gets there, Jesus tells the disciples that Lazarus has fallen asleep and I'm going to wake him up. Jesus knew all along that he was going to raise Lazarus. So here's the question. Why did he cry? Why did he cry? If Jesus knew that he would raise Lazarus, why did he cry? Here's the answer. Jesus cried because everyone else was crying. Listen to verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. In the original Greek language, the words imply emotions of both anger and sorrow. And many of us, many of you here, have been in that moment where you've lost someone you love, and you have those feelings of anger and sorrow and overwhelmness. You know that grief. You know that grief. Jesus was angry that death had caused so much pain, and Jesus was sharing in the sorrow of that grief. So moved by anger and in sorrow, Jesus empathized with those who grieved. He hurt because they hurt. He cried because they cried. God is love. And because He is love, He cares for you and He cares for me. Don't ever think, <clears throat> don't ever think that God in heaven never sheds a tear. Don't ever think that God is distant, cold, or impersonal. God is love. His heart is tender, compassionate, and caring. And He cares for you. When you cry, He cries. A.W. Tozer said, The love of God is one of the great realities of the universe, a pillar upon which the hope of the world rests. But it is a personal, intimate thing too. God does not love populations. He loves people. He loves not masses, but men. Love is not a total acceptance that ignores sin. But love is a total affection. It's empathy. It's compassion. It's concern. Love is affection. But love is also action. Love is also action. It's one thing to say, I love you. It's so much more to show I love you. One man wanted to prove so badly to his wife how much he loved her. He wanted to show, to prove his love for his wife. So he went and he swam the deepest river. He went and he crossed the widest desert. He went and climbed the highest mountain. And guess what she did? She divorced him because he was never home. <laughs> God did something. God did something to demonstrate his love. The Bible tells us very clearly, Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. 
while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God showed his love through his Son, Jesus. That's how we know that God loves us. Through Jesus. His love was demonstrated in his sacrificial death upon the cross. God didn't just declare, I love you. He showed it. 1 John 4, verse 9 through 10 says, This is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The Bible tells us that there is no greater love than to lay down your life for one another. That's what Jesus did. Love is action. Go back to stories about kids and what they say. I read a story about a nine-year-old boy named Mark. I don't think it was Mark Thomas. I don't think this is Mark's story. It's a different Mark. Nine-year-old Mark. Mark's mom was at home one afternoon when the phone rang, and she answered it was Mark's teacher. Immediately, she was nervous. The teacher said, I need to tell you what Mark did today. Now she was even more nervous. The teacher went on to explain that she was teaching about creative writing, and just like she always does, she told the story of an ant and a grasshopper. All summer long, the ant gathered and stored food. All summer long, the grasshopper played. So when winter came, the grasshopper realized that he desperately needed food, so he hopped over to the ant and he asked for help. And that's where the teacher lets the kids finish the story. Most students finish it by having the ant share his food, and they both live happily through the winter. Some write down that the ant can't share his food because he doesn't have enough. Once in a while, a student just says, share, no way. Uh, But Mark wrote something that his teacher had never seen. Mark wrote that the ant gave up all of his food and died so the grasshopper could live. And then he drew a cross at the bottom of his paper and wrote, Jesus died so we could live. Nine-year-old Mark, I think he understands how great God's love for us is. The love of God is obvious. Anyone who honestly seeks God will inevitably recognize the love of God. Unfortunately, I'm afraid that we either take his love for granted or we just simply ignore it. When the Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesians, he wrote this prayer in Ephesians 3, verse 17 through 19. It says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, long, high, and deep is the love of Christ, and to know his love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. Paul wanted them to know the love of God. He wanted them to recognize how powerful that love from God is. Today and in all days, we can make a choice. Will we accept God's love and will we love him in return? Will we accept God's love and will we love him in return? He gave his life for us. Will we die to ourselves and give our lives for him? 
The greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And Jesus said this, he said, if you love me, then keep my commands. God is love. God loves you. Do you love God? Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, with every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Please stand with me as I pray. God, your love is amazing and overwhelming. Too often we think of you as nothing but a judge, harsh, ready to condemn. What a wrong picture of you that is. Yes, you are a judge, and you do not ignore sin, but you are a judge who loves. Loves enough to make a way to send your son who took the penalty for our sin so we that are lost can be found. God, may we give you thanks. May we reflect that in how we love you in return. Help us to keep your commands as you've called us to do. Help us to live our lives in gratitude for you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Please take a moment to rate this podcast. And if you'd like to leave a comment, please send an email to c.wordspodcast at gmail.com. May the word of God be living and active in your life. 